I'm not mad at Franklin because it's not his fault, but he, he was doing laundry today and I'm very grateful that he did laundry. Thank you, Franklin, mm-hmm. for doing laundry. But we use, instead of dryer sheets, we have these felt balls that yeah. we put essential oils in to like smell like clean laundry instead of clean laundry yes. sheets. And he spilled the bottle of essential oils. <laughs> and so our apartment for the entire day and still just smells like intense. Lemon sage. Not even like clean laundry, which like is a nice smell in theory, but it's like I my face hurts because I'm it's just been like slipping into me all day long. And oh my god, it's so terrible. And I used to love that smell. It has ruined the clean it's laundry ruined. smell for me. Isn't that upsetting? <laughs> it is. I'm still I've trying had to wrap my head all day. The, the felt balls. Do you want me to show them to you? I'll I'll take a picture, I'll send it to you later. Yeah, send it to me later. They're like, I, um, they're, it's like a tennis ball. But it's like okay. felt, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And you like dr- you do a, little, a couple drops of the essential oil in it, and then it like gets the scent around. <laughs> when you dryer. first started describing, you were like, "The scent is," and I was like, "New car smell." Because <laughs> whenever I go to the Ooh. gas station, they're always like, "Would you like a car scent?" I'm like, "New car, please, new car, always." But it's so funny because you're talking about domesticated stuff, and I meant to ask you, who is the main person who cooks in your house, or is it split pretty evenly? I would say if we had to pick a main person, it's me. But we, he cooks a bunch too. I only ask what because you? I would say it, it gets split. If it's something fancy and we're having people over for dinner, I would totally throw it into Chip's court and I will make dessert. But because I love to bake. But if it's a big surprise, if during the week, it really is just who's available. And we're not fancy during the week either. But mm-hmm. that's what I was going to tell you is I started following this Instagram account and I'm going to have to get the name of it for you because I don't remember it off the top of my head. Our listeners are on the edge of their seat. But it's, Wick Trader Joe's meals. It's like this guy that goes and it buys stuff at Trader so Joe's. So funny that you say that because I was about to tell you. I, I don't know how you feel about. I think they're called like rice cakes. They're like uh-huh. noodles. They're okay. not noodles, but they're basically like a rice noodle gnocchi. Do you know what I'm talking about? They're like rice cakes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what you're too? talking. About. I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll look for it next time I go, which will probably be tomorrow. Okay. I used those and some other things from Trader Joe's to make a super quick dinner the other night, and it was so good. Okay, well, this I should is write what, to this person. Yes, yeah, you should write to this handle. person. And this is the one I did today. I'm going to tell you what it is really quick because it's so easy. You take two cups of vegetable broth or chicken stock, either one that you want to use, but then you take their harvest hash, which is out right now, which you get in the, mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm familiar. You take the harvest hash, cook it till it softens up, throw it in a blender with two of the cups of the the mm-hmm. chicken or vegetable stock. You take a tub of dairy-free garlic and herb cheese, dump that in there, blend it all together, add some salt and pepper, and then the recipe called for their pumpkin gnocchi, but I thought it would be too much. Mm-hmm. So they have mini gnocchis there. Mm-hmm. So I did a half a container of the mini gnocchis boil those up, mix it into the soup, and then you have some salt and pepper and you finish it with the Trader Joe's rosemary croissant croutons. It is such an incredible fall soup. It is delicious. And I kept thinking like... And we're not sponsored by Trader Joe's, but maybe we should try to be sponsored by Trader Joe's. I mean, I would do that. We could do a recipe with every book. As my mother-in-law said to me, I've never seen so much Trader Joe's things in here. Every week you're (laughs) trying to make something with it. I was like, I am. I really am. And I've also never seen boars on cheese put in anything else other than cut up on a cracker. Oh, my God. Wait. So like a week or two ago, I posted on Instagram and I know that you felt similarly about them, about how much I love the stuffing flavored popcorn. I first and foremost, 
I'm not, I don't love popcorn typically. I was, I don't even, I couldn't even believe I bought it in the first place. I love stuffing. I was so intrigued, bought it, loved it. Went back two days later, bought three bags so that I could give them away. I literally gave them to neighbors. And I've since gone back and they're gone. They're nowhere to be found. But what I found out was seasonally, they come out with a seasoning. It's called Everything But the Leftovers. And it's essentially that is the seasoning that is on the popcorn. And they sell. Exactly. But it doesn't even have to just be popcorn. You could put it in anything. You could make. You yeah, because I also saw they have potato, flavored potatoes. You have the potato chips the same way. I know. So this is just like my important PSA announcement for this time of year. And I'm holding up these, which I got today. Have you seen this? Cinnamon bun inspired kettle popcorn. No, but that's new. I, I need to start you. writing down all of the, every snack. Every time you hold up a snack from your desk. I know. Right? So speaking of domestic responsibilities we have zachary zane on the show today yeah let me just say really quickly really quick before we we do have zachary zane and i just wanted to say shout out really quickly congratulations to justin torres for winning the national book award for blackouts congratulations yes congrats to justin torres very exciting now back to but zachary zane Zachary Zane. whose book boy slut came out months ago now but we were very lucky to have him on our show he's fantastic and prolific and i would say a wonderful instagram follow brett i don't know if you would say the same thing i certainly would say he's a wonderful instagram follow (laughs) depends on what you're into but he's certainly a unique instagram follow zachary zane wrote boy slut here's a little more about zachary he's the author of boy slut a memoir and manifesto and co-author of men's health best sex ever he writes sexplain it the sex and relationship advice column at men's health and navigating non-monogamy his work on sexuality and relationships has been published in the new york times rolling stone the washington post gq out and many others And again, similar to Greg Marshall, Zachary Zane's conversation, we recorded this a long time ago. And so it's fun to revisit and and come back into the boy slut world. He talks about sex. (laughs) Yes, exactly. This is your warning right now. If you don't like to hear conversations about sex, now is your time to uh, maybe push pause. But as we talk about in the episode, talking about sex is a good thing and you should listen on. But just be warned, there is a lot of uh, sex talk in this episode. Exactly. Exactly. So, and as always, if you like what you're hearing, like us, follow us, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, follow us on Instagram. We do a lot of great giveaways there. We do. Um, and we also have a Patreon page, which where is up and there's bonus content that you're not hearing on the podcasts. Yes. And without further ado, ado. I'm Jason. I'm Brett. And enjoy this episode of Gaze Reading. How are you guys doing? Good, how are you? Good, how are you? All right. Can we call you Zach? Yeah, Zach is great. Okay. Some people, my husband's name is Franklin, and you, no one can call him anything but Franklin. If, you were, if, if Zachary was the way to go, we could call you Zachary too. Do your parents call you Zachary? Was it a Zachary when you got in trouble as a kid? I was a good boy. Yeah, no. Oh. No, pretty much usually Zach. Yeah. 
Yeah, Zach. I'm trying okay. to think. Inbedded Zachary. I'm my hair here. <laughs> Inbedded oh, Zachary. Right. Mr. Zane. Daddy Zane. <laughs> Mr. Zane. Zane yes. Daddy uh, Zane. There's a lot going on there. Zaddy Zane. Yep. I'm looking at all my notes and I'm trying to think about how to talk about these things in a particular order so that our regular listeners can listen to the first half of the episode. Then, and then the alarms go they up. Want then to, the content warning, and then start? maybe bounce, right? Yeah, right. maybe bounce. Yeah. So, so the book, as as you're making clear, it is very raunchy. It is uh-huh. very graphic. It is very explicit, and that's on purpose, right? It, it's not just for the sake of being salacious for salacious's manner or whatever it is, right? Just for the sake of it. I, I really think, as my book is about sex and overcoming sexual shame, and in order to do that, we need to be able to talk about sex, the messy sure. elements of sex, the graphic, the explicit elements of sex. And if it makes you feel uncomfortable talking about sex, okay, that that signals something, right? That That's telling you something. So I want you to push past that maybe initial awkwardness or that uncomfortable feeling. And I think that's actually very important. So um, that said, yeah. I am going to encourage everyone to listen to the entirety of the podcast. <laughs> no, me too. Unless I, if you are my parents, at which point, please, right. for the love of God, turn it off. Though th- I think that's a really interesting place to start is just like the idea of pushing past shame. And I think to our listener who at this moment might be thinking, oh, they're going to be having conversations about sex. And that is something that makes me uncomfortable. What, is there something that you would say other than pushing through? Is it as simple as? We're all sexual beings. It's totally normal and healthy to think about it and talk about it. And ask yourself why. Be introspective Mm. here. Why do I feel uncomfortable by sex? Because I could say this is a natural, healthy, normal thing that we all do. We all know that. That's how we procreate. It's how we make love. It's how less procreation for gay men. But it's intimacy, love. You know all this. That's not new information. So me almost speaking logically to you about that isn't going to help. So it's really getting to the root of where this internalized shame comes from, where this awkwardness or uncomfortableness comes from. And often you learn that this is not like an internal or an innate thing. Shame is learned. Not like if we lived in this utopian sex positive society, I don't know how that would work, but we wouldn't feel shame when discussing it. So do I feel shame because of my religion? I grew up in in the South, my politics, my family. And when you can distance yourself from the shame where you can be like, this is actually not my internal belief system, right? This is not what I actually think. It's just what I've been told to think. And you create that distance, then you can start feeling more comfortable discussing sex in all capacity. Yeah, I think that's a great way to think about it. And I hope that our listeners who are perhaps not used to talking about sex or hearing about sex or sex from the perspective of a bi cis man or two gay men that there could be a a moment of learning maybe absolutely perspectives are great so i think it's fun to yeah open up our minds a little bit wait i'm talk about shame i'm ashamed i didn't first wish you a happy bisexual awareness week Oh my goodness. Thank you. The fact that it took this long is biphobic. You are canceled. I know. I'm uh, so sorry. So that, that's so how it works. That's how that works. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, it's exciting. It's just a time when I get to see how many other people are bi because often we feel so alone. We feel like there's no community. We feel like 
you're often put in this buyer straight category. This is all not new information here. But when you just see everyone posting about it, you're like, oh my God, there's a shit ton of us and there is a community and I don't have to pick a side. So just, it's a really fun week all around. And I get to write some fun thought pieces on it, which is always a fun thing to do as well. Yeah. But I do think, but I do think it's not just an awareness. You're saying you see it and see other people, but for everybody else to see that as well for anybody who isn't or sees those things. Because, you know, it is one of the things, you know, in your book, you talk about that and you talk about the things that you've come up against. So I just think in terms of an awareness for everyone else to see that and to know, okay, this is out there and this does exist. And for someone of my generation, there obviously are different perspectives that have gone on. I love seeing that. And I love seeing that it's being celebrated. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's power and visibility, right? So it's visibility, not just for the minority group to be like, hey, we're not alone, right? We are this community. I feel less isolated. And feeling like alone and isolated, like you're the only bi person in the world or trans person or gay person, whatever it is, wherever you're living, like leads to those slew of negative health consequences of depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, eating disorders, all of that. So it's like community is important and visibility shows that like you are not alone. There's a community. But it's also for the majority group or the people who are like to be like, hey, this is a real group that you need to take seriously. You need to give them some goddamn respect and not be shitty to them. So, yeah, it holds for both people or both groups, rather. And Brett, you just said my generation and then chuckled. I do think that there's something interesting, too, about understanding the false perceptions of bisexuality and what. Even I think for me as a gay person growing up, the idea of I I came out as bi first because it was a safer word to Saver. say. Yeah, right. You I know. think that happens. That's many gay men's journeys. Sure. Totally. Yeah. I was reading some of like my Goodreads reviews just because I was having like a really good day and I wanted to be humbled. I just uh-huh. want to feel shittier about myself. <laughs> I joke, but actually most of them are quite kind, which is g- given the topic of this book, I was, just, <laughs> I was like, oh, people well, actually really love it. But I remember reading one. I was just interesting. I was like getting like three stars. And he was like, I'm like a gay man in my 60s. And we get it. You're bi. And it's just so annoying how much you talk about it. And, and then he was insinuating a little bit like doth protest too much, being like, you're talking about mm-hmm. bi so much. And I've never really met a bi guy before, so I don't believe it's real. And I just wanted to be like, that's exactly why I'm talking about it. You admitted right. the fucking point here. You literally admitted right. being like, oh my God, it's so annoying that he talks about it. And also, it's clearly not real. And I'm like, that's why I'm talking about it as much as I do, because no matter how much I talk about it, it still seems like you don't fucking think it's real. It's such this myopic and self-centered point of view when it's, oh, because I used bi as a stepping stone before coming out as gay, or I know a handful of gay men that have done that. Therefore, every single man who uses bi, therefore, is actually gay. But so much of it is, oh, this was my experience and therefore it's your experience. Or I've heard this experience from two people. And I'm like, are you that self-centered to be like, oh, my experience is the only experience that exists? Well, And I think the answer is yes. People are that self-centered. I am older, but I remember that was, I didn't know anyone who would identify as bisexual. And most of the people it was, myself included. It started with that idea of I'm bi because I haven't come to terms with this other thing yet. And it wasn't until I was older and started to actually see people, younger generations. But I think there's a whole different mindset that's happening now, just in terms of sexuality, the conversations we're having about gender, about identity, all of these things that are coming to the forefront 
that didn't happen 20 years ago. We just didn't have these conversations. Oh, absolutely. And we're looking at numbers that kind of see more people identify as bi than ever before, Mm -hmm. right? And that's not because there's hormones in the milk or whatever the fuck. It's just because we feel more open expressing and identifying as such. And it's interesting. I got some question from some older gay men, quote unquote older, let's say 50s, 60s. And they've been with their husband, partner, whatever, for 20, 30 years or 10 years, whatever it is. And I was like, like, you're describing Brett. <laughs> but but it's, I think I'm about to not describe Brett in a second. Yeah. But like, literally, they're like, so I'm now realizing that bisexuality is an option. Like when I was coming out, it was you were gay or straight. I was more feminine. I liked men. I liked male culture. I've been gay my whole life. Now I'm, I have an open relationship with my husband and I want to sleep with women now that I know this is an option that's always been in the back of my mind, but I pushed it down. A, how do I do that? I've never slept with a woman I'm like 60 who's going to want to sleep with me. And then B, I'm afraid my husband's going to freak the fuck out. And I'm like, those are two very valid concerns. Right. I'm like, the first part, when I explained, it's just like there are guys who get really turned on by the idea of sleeping with a man who's never had sex with a man. There's also women who get turned on by the idea of sleeping with a man who's never had sex with a woman. So it's, you list it and you're going to find those people who are somewhat fetishizing in a way that's healthy and consensual and a very minor form of fetishization. I'm not. Yeah. It's fine. But I'm like, there, there are people who are specifically into it. Find those people. As for your husband, that's going to be a little bit challenging, especially if he has the misconceptions of the, again, I hate saying older generation, I, I, but quote unquote older generation and just experience. Explaining the fluidity of it, explain that you're not leaving him for a woman. You have, you're just interested and it's different and right. serious. You've had these attractions. You want to act on it. But yeah, th- there is a decent chance your husband will slightly freak out and be shitty to you about it. There's no other way around that. Chip, we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> you saying older generation, I think some of it is it's not about the fact that somebody is older, but that it's just been older, a longer yeah. grain. Uh, it's been ingrained longer. Certainly. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. I have heard other people say, if I didn't feel like there was such a strong binary, then maybe I am 6% interested in having sex with a woman. And- it's easier. You know what I mean? And again, I'm not trying to start like an oppression Olympics and who's more marginalized, but like in many aspects, if you were 100% gay or 100% straight, whatever it is, and you could be just like part of this community f- fully and be accepted and welcomed and embraced by it and not ostracized because of your attractions to whoever different gender sex or same gender sex like it, there is i think when the world is divided into binaries it is often easier to pick one of those binaries than to exist in the middle or yeah. or to go back and forth between them to have a fluid identity i i don't want to get canceled by saying this but i feel that way about vegetarians and vegans, it is okay to be a 98% vegan. And if yeah. you, and if one day, and if every once in a while you crave a burger, like that doesn't mean like you don't lose your identity. I don't know. It's just interesting. I, I, I think it's actually beautiful and expansive and would make it more people open to veganism because yes. I think our vegetarianism, mm-hmm. because when it's such that strict binary and you feel like a fake vegan or a fake vegetarian because you have that, one of my closest friends, she's vegan. And she cheats a little bit more than 2%. I'd say about 10 to 15% of the time. But even using the word cheat, there's something like problematic. Negative. 
Yeah. And literally I ordered, I wasn't even paying attention and I ordered the pepperoni pizza and I'm like, oh, geez, sorry. And she's like, at this point, I just do it for the bit. I'll eat this. And she just jokes about it. But no, that said, she she is most of the time she's vegan. Absolutely. Significantly more. And you're right. The word sheet's not better, but uh, I don't know exactly what the word would be. Some of the time she's not, she's still vegan. Yeah. But that's the same with sexuality too. Some of the times you're more attracted to this. Vegan adjacent. You're still gay. You're still Let's say you are a trans woman, so you're born male, more AMAB, but at times, if you want to be masculine, if you want to dress wearing gym shorts, that does not invalidate your trans identity as a trans woman. And I remember right. having date trans people who are just like, I feel like if I'm not consistently feminine all the time in my appearance, then that invalidates my identity. Versus you can be feminine and masculine and no one questions whether you are a cis man, but I, all of my identity gets turned into question, and that's not fair. Because yeah. it's not right. that doesn't take away from my trans identity. So I think it's the same exact thing here. So to go back to Boislet, your memoir and manifesto, you. yeah. are all of these pieces why the book came to be? Because you wanted by visibility, because you needed to get yourself out there. Was it? I guess the question really is, can you talk about how the book came to be? Sure. And I think I even talk about it in the forward itself. If if I If it's not annoying to read a little section of the forward but it's, the first question i answer is this is the so literally the first sentence of the book in the forward and so i go i, <laughs> I want did to read the, the book i promise <laughs> jason uh, started with chapter 12 I get <laughs> that's it that, oh god don't do that that's when it gets fucking crazy it's no, 11 i love there's certain people it's so funny who the reviews again i really need to stop reading them i'm driving myself crazy but i can't every I'm single author we talk to reads the goodreads reviews don't worry yeah, they're so funny some of them are absolutely ridiculous but oh yeah but when they get to chapter 11 they're like i love this book but i got to these chapters and absolutely not one star in the chapters that they actually and we'll We'll delve into this a little bit later. The chapters that people have the most issues with, I think, are the most important chapters. Yeah, which, no, and that's, yeah, certainly. Which makes certainly. sense. So, yeah. yeah, very few people are going to be like, oh, sex positivity is like bad. If you're a queer man reading this book, the stuff yeah. where I'm like, I want you to dig a little bit deeper. I want you to look from this perspective. You might not have thought about it through this lens. And then people are like, what? Freak the fuck out. But anyway, let's go back to answering your question. <laughs> yes. I want to write this book for quite some time. And for a simple reason, I'm not aware of a memoir or manifesto written by a bisexual man about how to overcome sexual shame. Frankly, I think it's about damn time. We are long overdue for more modern, queer, and sex-positive narratives. At the risk of sounding like an asshole, I'm exhausted by the same stories I keep reading. A little gay boy from the South or Midwest who grew up in a religious, homophobic family moves to the big city, finds his chosen family, and learns to embrace who he is. While these are important and moving stories, they are just a subsection of the larger queer experience. Being a greedy bisexual, I wanted more. I didn't grow up in a homophobic, sex-negative household. I grew up in a very liberal, queer-affirming household, and guess what? I was still overcome with sexual shame. I still struggled with being bisexual, polyamorous, and horny all the time. Sex negativity is pervasive, insidious, and touches us all and not in a fun, kinky way. So as a child and as an adult, I crave narratives that spoke to my experience as bisexual. So I think that kind of answers your question. It, and ab- does. it absolutely does. And an excellent Thank reread. Thank you. Oh my God. When I read Audible, I forgot how to read. I literally got in the studio and I'm like slurring every single word. I was so anxious. And I'm like, I read out loud before. And I just, <laughs> I, 
took me like two days to finally remember how to read. And it was so awkward and embarrassing. And I hope I never have to read a book for Audible ever again. So I wish I almost had like practice book reading. And then the second time I read it, I would have been okay. But it was just- You sounded fine. Ooh, Honestly, you, no, you were great. I think not only the buy visibility, but also just like, encouraging the conversations about sex and sexual exploration with friends, with people that we care about. It's just not something that happens enough. And I think that was something exciting about the book to me. It's just a safe space to talk about things we don't typically talk about. And it was very funny reading it side by side with Brett, who is self-proclaimed very vanilla. By the way, I was glad to see your whole section about what actually is vanilla. And then I, by the time I finished this book, I was like, I'm not as vanilla as I would have thought I was going into this book. So it's an interesting, it's a, it was an interesting yeah. examination because it did make me no. really sit there and think. And I have to tell you, Zach, I'm going to say this. I was very nervous about this initially because when we first booked you and Jason was like, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be a great conversation. And I was like, I'm coming from a whole different, again, back to the generational thing, but we didn't talk, and I'm a fucking wasp. We don't talk about anything. You know what I mean? You talked about nothing. When I finished it and got through it, I was like, okay, this is cool now and I can, it's fine. But I had total trepidation when I first opened the book. I thought, what the hell am I about to embark on with you? <laughs> I'm glad it stuck through. And I've been receiving, I think it has, uh, weirdly enough, a, a very strong impact on the older generation. Gay men in their 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. 40s is not older generation. 50s, 60s, 70s. Again, older in quotes. I don't want to get canceled for this out of all things. And then, you know, like 18, 19, 20 year olds who are figuring out, but the people in their 20s and 30s who grew up in my generation are not necessarily learning as much. Of course, they are still learning so much from this, but this is they did grow up with this in a different way. Yes, yeah, certainly. Certainly. Although I'm not. I also like your parents. If you said when you say, you know, you don't want your parents to hear some things. I'm absolutely putting a proclamation at the beginning of this for my children to stay away. Yeah, that's a tough thing, too, because someone asked me, hey, is it OK for my 16 and 17 year old queer child to read this? And my response was, this would be something I wish I had when I was 16 to read. Mm -hmm. That said, it is graphic. It is raunchy. I recommend that you read it and decide for yourself if it's appropriate for your children to read. So it's this weird balance of I actually think it could be very helpful for 15, 16, 17 year olds, but at the same time, it could also be a lot. So it is, I think it really is dependent on the person. Of course, it's up to the parents to decide. Uh, sure. But the moment you're 18, I think you're good to go. You can decide and choose if you want to read it. I really forbid most of my family to read it, but That's different. Court, it's very it's very personal and they don't need to know about my sex life sure. and they already know plenty just from because i write about it so graphically online everywhere but we have healthy boundaries and my mom has not read the book i was like i don't want you to read it at all i did give her the first chapter before i published it which features her fat heavily because it's about mm -hmm. me having how old, OCD are you? How, and how, excuse me, how old are your parents they were born in 1948 1953 so 70, 70 and 75 Okay. 70 and 75. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. And so I gave her the first chapter where she is featured in it and being like, hey, I, I share some things about her that I'm like, do you feel comfortable with the world knowing? I talk about her first marriage, which she's not as public about. And, there, and there's a reason why I do that. It's not just for the sake of it. It actually pertains to me and the way that she treated me and the way that she raised me, right? So I'm not just bringing it up for the sake of it. And there were some other things too. And she read it. And she was she didn't have me change anything. And I think she looks very good in it because she was and is a very great mother. But the rest of it, I'm like, she doesn't need to read versus my dad. 
I let him read it. He's a little bit chiller with this stuff. And however, there's one chapter in the book where I say, for the love of God, mom and dad, don't read that. And I said to him, I'm like, hey, that's not like it's a joke, but that is serious. Please don't read that chapter. And he read the book and basically he's still reading it. He's older and it has dementia. It's a little bit tougher for him. But so he hasn't finished it yet. But he's I got to that chapter. And do you think I read it? I'm like, I don't think you did because you wouldn't be able to be on the phone with me, right? (laughs) You would have been mortified. I would have heard it in your voice. He's no, I didn't read it. I'm like, yeah. And there's obviously, I don't ask them about their sex life. I don't want to hear about their sex life. They are my parents. We are entitled to privacy. I love sure. though that I do appreciate, and I have to say, and kudos to your parents for having these conversations in any capacity, because I think this is so healthy. And I think having two kids, like my daughter is 16, my son will be 20 next month. He's in college, but 20, he and, can read it at 20. You know, he certainly could. And, and my, my son is also- You're like, I just, no, no, And I wouldn't at all. And my son is also, he would be fine saying this. My son is gay. And so that's been an, its own interesting journey and, and being raised by two dads. And, but I try to, I think both of us do, again, WASP household, but try to have a very open dialogue and have an open conversation, especially as a man with a daughter and have those conversations. But I do want to just acknowledge, and I think it's really cool, and you talk about it in your book, and you've just said it now, in terms of about the sex positivity in terms of your parents and having to be able to have those conversations. And I just think... That is such a great and healthy thing. And so kudos to all of your family involved in, in regards to that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think I am lucky and speaks to our relationship for sure. There's also something really interesting because these young people are finding this content online regardless. The 14-year-olds sure. are finding the content online. So for them to have it... With you know, visual aids. That's what I'm saying. We're just like, yes, I'm talking about porn. And like the average age, and again, I think the study was a little bit older, so it might be even younger now, but it's like the average age uh, a kid first sees porn online is 11. So I'm sorry. So me writing about porn and being like, hey, here's how porn can be a great thing in your life and how it's also a fantasy and how you can't base recognizing that this is not what real sex is and contextualizing it. That was the word I was looking for is important and necessary, right? So it's the idea that this is the first time they're going to be hearing or reading or seeing the content that I'm doing it is so naive and absurd. absolutely. And the fact that I'm actually contextualizing it and providing more information, I actually think is very beneficial. Yes. And it's packaged as such and more productive in one place by a reliable source who talks about it professionally. I Again, to our listeners who might not pick up Boislet, I would say it is worth reading about or worth reading to learn, again, a perspective of society that you don't necessarily find yourself learning about on a daily basis. It's not dissimilar from reading a book about a different culture or from an author who has a much different background than you, right? It's the same. It's under that umbrella, too. But also, I do think that so much of the shame tied into conversations about sex is because we don't have conversations about sex. And so it's so let's do it. Often people are worse at having conversations about sex than actually having sex a lot of the time, which is absurd when you think about it. Yeah. It's also I I always said there's a perception just, just sticking in the gay lane for one second. It's always easier for people to come up with this idea of two gay men being sexually that they pound each other, that they just go at it versus intimacy, which is a whole different thing. A lot of people have a lot more trouble wrapping their head around the idea of two men being intimate 
and the postcoital moments that could happen in sex or the talking or the holding versus the perception that we just tie each other up and strap on some nipple clamps and go to town. It's so funny. And you, you can even tell like when you have the more conservatives or Republicans and they're talking about gay men, you can see the wheels turning in their brain being mm-hmm. like, I, I know you're imagining me face down, ass up, right. getting just railed by 50 dudes. It's I don't even do that. And I'm attracted to men. You know what I mean? You're the one that made it raunchy and graphic pretty immediately. Turn this into something about that's over overtly sexual as opposed to something that is intimate and beautiful and a way of connecting and relating to another person you care for and love. But also, I think it's important to acknowledge that sexual intimacy is important and normal. And I think something that people should equate that two men can do together. And we can also hold true that being face down, ass up, getting pounded by 50 guys can also be normal and healthy. Yeah, no, both and are normal. Good, and, and, no, and I definitely advocate for the latter, which is why I was wanted to be like, no, I'm also about the intimacy <laughs> yeah, and the beauty right. and the relationship. Because the book has definitely plenty of the latter. So I think it's sure my stance on that's pretty clear. But, but, but I am glad that you clarified. Both should be normalized. Both are beautiful, fun, pleasurable, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And... Yeah, it's what sex holds so many different purposes. And that's why I love having sex with just most people. I'm attracted to really most people. And there's some people I'm like more physically attracted to. And that's almost a type of sex that I enjoy when someone's so fucking, or I find them so hot and they're so attractive. Mm. And then there are other people who maybe I have friends tease me being like, oh my God, that guy was not cute. I'm like, it, that was, it wasn't about that it was about a different form it was about the sexual act that we were doing the fact that it was more kinky it was the fact that we engaged in bdsm this form of sex wasn't necessarily about the attraction and then i obviously have the type of sex with my partners where it's deeply loving and you're holding each other and you're cuddling Mm. after and and that types too but i want people to also just under there's so many different types of sex and there's so many different reasons you can be having sex and they're all valid i made a note that it's you talk about the best sex involves communication, vulnerability, and knowing and owning what you like. And yeah. how do you think one gets there? Read the book, Boy Slut, a memoir manifesto. <laughs> I think first and foremost is education, right? Yeah. There's so many good resources online, so many bad resources online as well. Hopefully you can distinguish between the two. So I think sometimes it's learning like there are other options out there for what you can do. If you're someone who's never engaged in kink, pick up a book about, read some articles about kink, be like, hey, why is it that people are doing this? What is it that they get out of this? Oh, it actually is a way for sexual assault survivors to help reclaim their sexuality and reclaim their sexual autonomy. Because actually in BDSM, you have very clear negotiations beforehand, very clear, hey, I'd be turned on if you did X, Y, and Z. Please do not touch my hair or pull my hair because that will trigger me whatever it is. So you're almost getting a sense of autonomy back because it's so clearly spoken about and you're creating the safe bubble. You know, it's a way for certain people to get some anxiety out of their system, especially kink, where I just feel like for me, when I've been anxious, it's yes, I try to work out, I watch TV, whatever it is. But if I'm in a kind of impact play where like I'm getting spanked, whatever it is, it gets this anxious energy out of my body. I focused on something Mm. else. It releases endorphins. I feel more relaxed afterwards. So learning why people are having this different type of sex, the ways you can have different type of sex, start potentially exploring, watching different types of porn and kink and seeing what turns you on, seeing what doesn't, and then exploring with partners. 
You know what I mean? That's what it comes down to. And just being like, hey, I've never tried this before, but would you be interested in doing X, Y, Z? And a lot of people are open. A lot of people are not. And also knowing that if you really don't get, let's say even it's something as simple as calling someone daddy, which is I feel like what every gay man does ever. You know what I mean? And be like, all of a sudden you do that and you're getting called dad. You're playing someone's dad and you're like, that's weird. No, this is creepy (laughs) for me. I'm not enjoying this. That, okay, no harm, no foul. Actually, I'm not enjoying this. Let's try something else. And I think with a lot of these conversations, it's the more confident and almost normalized you make these conversations, the easier it is. If you're just like, oh my God, I'm I'm really nervous and I'm embarrassed. It's don't preface it with anything. Be like, hey, I'd be interested in trying X, Y, Z. I never had before. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Would you be interested in trying? That's it. But if, if you make it this big deal, just present it more normally. And I think that's But it's hard to do that because we're afraid. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of people judging us. I understand why, but I feel like if you're able to do that, you're going to be set in gold. Totally. And I also think that you talk in the book so articulately about the fact that we can't control how we're hardwired. And just like you can't control who and what you're attracted to in terms of sexual behavior, the things that turn you on, the things that get you hard, the things that get you off, the things you just can't. So yeah, just embrace it. You're, you're not. Em- embrace it. There's two sides to this coin. Embrace it. First, recognize that they're like, even if 1% of the population has this kink, that's what, what there are 8 billion people in the world. So that would be 8 million people in the world. Or is that, oh no, 1% would be 80 million people in the world. Because yeah. then 800 would be 10%. And then yeah, 8 billion. So that means 80 million in the people people in the world have the same kink as you. So if you're 0.01%, that's still 800,000 if I'm doing this. Get method. your hashtag up and find your people. Find your people. <laughs> that's what it is. And at the same time, don't be a dick to the people or the things that you're not into. And this often goes back to the conversation of like preferences versus racism. When you're talking about like sexual desires, the people you want to sleep with on Grindr, Snippies, gay hookup apps. And, and and that's one that people definitely like struggle with more. And a lot of people really rely on, no, this is my preference. And so, and other people are like, oh my God, you're just being fucking racist by saying no blacks, no Asians, whatever it is on the right. thing. And my response is you can't control who you're attracted to. And we've also been taught in a society that there's a certain type of Western beauty that we find attractive, right? I understand whether it is innate or whether you are conditioned to find a certain group attractive. If you find a not a group attractive, do not be dicks to them. Do not write off that entire group or community. They're just be like, oh, I'm not interested. You don't have to say no blacks or I'm not. Like, like, right. that's, that, that is fucking racist. But like, also, like, I don't love oysters, but there might be a restaurant that I go to that has oysters that, you wanna, that I love. Just be and, open. Like right. writing off an entire group or like population just because, right. oh, absolutely not. Don't fuck it. Like, all I'm asking for you is don't be a dick to people. Mm-hmm. Don't write off an entire group and just be open-minded. Like, I, I don't think that's part, that part of an ask. Yeah. I don't know. I think I agree with you, unfortunately. Unfortunately, it are, seems like it is a hard ask because yeah. more people would be doing it. Yeah. yeah. And it's not even just about sex and shame, but I think in general, people are... Other aspects. I want to be mindful of your time. And so I just want to say back to chapter 11, now that we're at the latter end of the conversation, I was skimming the book initially before we were talking about having you on and I like got to chapter 11 and I DM'd Andrew and I was like, we have to talk to Zach. I will email you about this on Monday because what was so exciting to me was 
I talk about this a lot, how Post Secret, are you familiar with Post Secret? No. It is a community that this guy, Frank, started by by sharing postcards with his neighborhood and said, write a secret and mail it back to this address. And he started, he created a blog. He now has many books. There are museum exhibits about it. It's this huge thing. Wait a minute. Yeah. Seen an exhibit, I think, of these flashcards of people sharing secrets. Okay. Assume that's. The, I'm him? 100% sure that's the same thing. So cool. it's this, it's okay. this thing called Post Secret. And the idea, cool. the reason why he started it was so that people could go and read other people's secrets and realize they're not alone. Other people share these secrets yeah. too. And so I, to me, chapter 11, whether people are into the same kinks that you are or not, what was validating was that there can be extreme kinks that you could be into and other people are into extreme kinks too. And that is safe and okay. Exactly. I don't expect you to have the same kink as me. That's not the purpose of it. However, I've received a gajillion DMs since the book came out. So now I have more offers. For the, for this niche kink that I've ever had before in my life, where I'm like, I thought this was hard to find. No, it is not. Or but that's a yeah, great example. Exactly. Put yourself out there. Yeah. And- but the goal, it's, it's like giving you permission. It's to be like, you are not alone. You are not alone in your more extreme kinks. And then I also talk about this and like, Brett, you brought this up earlier. I also talk about people being vanilla and wanting you to own that as well. Because we also have vanilla shaming, especially in the gay community where it's just, oh my God, you're so boring. You don't do shit. You should be taking low. It's like, you should do whatever the fuck you want to do. And if that's vanilla sex or if that's kinky sex, that is fine. I think people really felt better about themselves reading this chapter. And it was really important. And that's why I shared this. I don't know how many thousands of people have read my book already, but many thousands have read my book already and they know this about me. And that's yeah. very scary. But yeah, th- that is the chapter where people are like, oh, they, they they breathe a little bit lighter. They exhale. They're like, OK, I'm, I'm not alone. Uh, it's OK to be kinky. I now know how to find other kinky people and I don't have to feel ashamed. I don't have to do this all in silence. Yeah. And I think it can almost come across as extreme performative, right? It is a very, that chapter, I, I we only keep referring to it as chapter 11, because if you want to know what we're talking about, you have to go read Boy Slap by Zachary Zane. Mm-hmm. It, can, it makes the rest of the book look tame, which is funny because like the book is very sexually explicit and you talk about that but, no, but, but this one is this one's graphic. That, that chapter quite, definitely sticks out. Yeah. And I think that so it can speak. come up. It it can come across as performative, but I think it also, what's important to just say out loud is that it's just, it's honest and Mm -hmm. an extreme can still be intimate and tender, right? Exactly. Just because, just because you're talking about something taboo in theory, right? Like it's still okay and and normalized. Zach, is there anything you haven't done yet that you want to do sexually? There's certain things that I've had put a little bit on. Cold, I'm like, I don't want to do everything immediately. I need to have things <laughs> You're still young. Too. Get your whole life young. Uh, otherwise, by the time I'm 40, I'll be doing like, the most insane things you could possibly imagine. I'm like, all right, let's slow my roll. There's down also a something bit. to be said about getting better at some of the things. Exactly. You right. You go back. And also, I, I also realize like kinks come and go for me, where it's like something yeah. that turned me on five years ago and I moved past it and then I revisit it. So it's almost, it's not necessarily like a linear, it's, oh, I'm over this. I move on to the next thing. It's sure. more so, oh, I, I needed some novelty and excitement. So I've tried something new because that was getting a little boring. And now enough time has passed that I can return to this. 
one thing I would like to do that I haven't had is like a proper blow bang where it's just like I'm sucking like 15 dicks and it's just about mm. me and they all bukkake and come on my face afterwards. But mm. uh, I've sucked a few dicks, but then it's always in a, a sex scene and everyone's hooking up. But I want to be greedy and I want all the come on my face. All right. But that would not be good for my style. That's maybe why I no. currently yes. have a Put your eye mask on. That's what I need my eye mask. <laughs> I recently hooked up with a guy who specifically his kink was like, can you come in my eyes? And he wants oh. to like pull back his eyes. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's hot. For me, that sounds like a fate worse than hell. I, we've totally. all accidentally had come in our eyes and it stings and it's not fun. And it was like, okay, if that's what does it, sure, let's do it. And then afterwards, we were talking a little bit. And he was like, I actually really do have to go to the bathroom and wash my eye out. I think it was with saline or something. He's like, otherwise, this will become an issue. I don't mean to be rude. I'm like, oh, I understand. Do what you have to do. He's like, oh, I'm appreciating the cuddles and whatnot. I'm like, no, that's. Yeah, I understand. This is. You would think that knowing he knows that this kink, that maybe he'd have a little flush next to the bed. So he really didn't have to go. He that did. Far. He oh, literally well, did have a go. flush next to the bed, but went to the bathroom to just. Got it, got it, got do it, it, it essentially. More. Yeah, yeah. On that note, no. <laughs> I know. I was like, I would be worried about him, but that's okay. And this is something I talk about. You're allowed to take risks when you have sex. Yeah. He might get an eye infection, and that's worth it for him. That's okay. Right. That's a risk that he is allowed to take. As long as he's aware of the risks, I hope he's spoken to a doctor and he's OK. So if I get come in my eye consistently, like how what are the potential risks? And he might be like, oh, it could sting. It could be red. And then you wash it out. If it's like this could lead to cancer and we don't know that for some reason, I hope he knows what the risks he's taking are. But sure. you are allowed to take any sexual risk that you want to take with the consent of your partner. You just need to be informed of the risks that you're taking. Yeah, which is an important point to make. And, and I do want to just talk about this really quick. And I know because it is one of the things we talked about the Goodreads thing. And one of the things that a lot of people seem to get stuck on was your chapter and talking about not wearing condoms. Oh, so, people had a panic. Of this freak the fuck yeah, out. but it speaks to something what you just said, which is and you talk about this in the book and certainly you could talk about it a little bit now and a reaction to that. But I do think you spell it very clearly. This is what it is for you. And you also explain it to your partners in terms of talking about it and making sure that this is a consensual thing for all parties involved. But I, I would just love to hear your thoughts about that, because that is something well, when I was looking through the Goodreads thing that was coming up a lot. If I didn't have that chapter, my Goodreads reviews would be fucking amazing. Like that was the chapter that really pissed people wow. off. And it was also, I think, straight cis women learning for the first time that gay men don't wear condoms. Obviously, many gay men do not wear condoms in New York City, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Boston, the vast majority, I would say, right? Like the vast majority. So they're just learning about this for the first time. And that's just appalling to them. But I talk about, yeah, I talk about risk-aware consensual gain. And this is a kind of a a principle that people who engage in kink do. And it speaks to what I said, where it's you're allowed to take risks if you're aware of the risks that you're taking, if your partner consents. And for me, I know the risks of getting certain STIs. I'm on PrEP, so I'm not worried about getting HIV. Most STIs are pretty much treatable with antibiotics. Herpes doesn't really matter. If I was to get that, that doesn't, that's not a big issue. And also condoms don't prevent against herpes. They don't prevent against syphilis. That's skin to skin mm -hmm. contact. You can also get oral gonorrhea and oral chlamydia. I've had oral gonorrhea plenty of times considering my love of sucking dick. And still, people don't have sex with condoms. Straight people don't have oral sex with condoms. And we've done that. Oh, that's fine. That's socially acceptable. But like, mm -hmm. how come that risk is acceptable versus the risk that I take is not? I get tested almost monthly at this point. I let people know, hey, I have unprotected sex with people. Do 
do you feel comfortable having unprotected sex? But one of my, I think it was like Publishers Weekly or one of them was like Zach's cavalier anti-condom attitude. I was like, oh, you really misunderstood that because I'm actually not cavalier about it at all. I'm actually communicating what my mm-hmm. level of risk is. I'm giving people the option. I'm not lying about it. I'm getting tested frequently. I have no shame about getting an STI. The way we stigmatize STIs right now is why people do not get tested, why people lie about their statuses, why people lie about having unprotected sex. It leads to shame. What I'm doing is actually going to lead, I maybe can't make this claim, but it's definitely going to lead to destigmatization. It's definitely going to lead to more testing. It's definitely going to lead to more honesty. And I'm like, and people can say no. You know what I mean? When people, I've had women be like, oh, you've had unprotected sex with men. I don't even want to have sex with you with a condom. That's great. I'm glad I told them so they have the informed they're making an informed choice and people are like what about antibiotic resistant gonorrhea like stuff like that i'm like the, i don't want to get into like the science of that but it's, that's coming from people not finishing up their doses it comes from the fact that the, so many sti clinics treat upon exposure because they're afraid that you're not going to come back in and actually get treated which means mm-hmm. we're giving so many people antibiotics that they don't need you to need. take so clearly but they're blaming on you they want to be self-righteous and i want to be like oh you've never had sex without a condom are you serious right now I stand by this. I believe you're allowed to take the level of risk you want to take. And I also, growing up with a fear of HIV and AIDS, it's different when you're a queer man and having sex could fucking kill you. Now, having the ability to have unprotected sex and not fear this is different. I even say I'm like, I'm not advocating for you to not wear a condom. I'm advocating for you to do whatever you feel comfortable with. There's also a difference between people who have vaginas and penises. The vagina is just a little bit more finicky. You could potentially get, you know, be infertile from this. You can get other infections from this versus the penis is relatively straightforward. You treat it. So it is different for men versus cis women. But I am not at all advocating for you to have sex without a condom. I'm advocating for you to be honest, communicate your level of risk, get tested frequently and decide what level. Yeah. And decide what you want to take with the consent of your partners. Which I've also been on points. a subway where more people have sneezed than I could count, and that is more dangerous, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. No, it, it, it's it honestly, and some of the comments do come off as homophobic, not yeah. to pull that card, but it's just really does seem that way. There, there are a few people who wrote reviews, be like, four stars, I really love the book, I disagreed with this chapter, but I understand where he's coming from. There are a few of those, but those people I very much respect. Those are people who are like, I see where he's coming from, I, I, I don't agree with it, so I'm knocking down a star, but I did love the rest of his book versus the other people who are like, one star, because I love the entire book except for this one chapter, and he's reckless and he's careless. I'm like, I'm actually not reckless and careless. You can disagree with me, and that's okay, but I'm not reckless and careless, and I don't appreciate being called that. You're not reckless right. and careless, yeah. but even if you were, that's to what we were saying earlier about judging people. Who the fuck cares? It's, this is your story. This is your journey. You're not being reckless and careless. And that's it's it's about you sharing your experiences. And I don't want to say my body, my choice, because there are differences from that versus abortion, right? They're not exact parallels. But I, I do think it's similar enough to be like, this is something that I'm deciding to do with my body with the consent of my heart. Again, all of that it's, you it's not say a direct in the comparison. Book. Yeah, I see all this. And yeah. it's not a direct comparison. So I'm almost reticent to say that there are obviously different nuances there but i well, it's think it's not even just your body over- your choice but your sexual experience your choice and you yeah, are exactly. you're being communicative with your partners if you could go back and tell little zach anything in regard to sex and sexuality what do you think that might be i mean don't freak out which is the worst advice you can give anyone no one's ever calmed down from saying calm down but i really just everything felt so urgent and immediate and if i didn't figure it out right away I thought my world was ruined. I was in such a rush 
to figure out my sexuality. And I understand the desire. I understand wanting to have pleasurable sex. I wasn't even sure if I should be dating men or women. I didn't know who I was attracted to. Mm -hmm. Frustrating when you want to have a partner in your life. But if I could just tell myself to breathe and slow down and be like, okay, so you start having good sex, knowing who you are at 28 as opposed to 22. Okay, I still have 50 great years in me. You know what I mean? There's still so much time. And I look back on just the anxiety that I had. And the sense of urgency when it's just, yes, put in the work, be introspective, but you really don't have to have everything figured out. And there really is no rush. And if you could just explore without this being like, does this make me gay? Does this make me straight? Does this make me bi? Does this make me kinky? Just explore and see what you like and almost remove yourself from it. Remove that anxiety and and just see what you like and then decide later who you are, what you are, what you want. But if I don't know, that's a little bit of a ramble there, but I'd be like, just take some deep breaths. Yeah, some deep breaths. And I think a great way to perhaps unlock some of that way of thinking is to read Boy Slut, a memoir and manifesto by Zachary Zane. Yes, good. Uh, I thank you for your vulnerability and honesty in the book. I think it's just something that is not addressed enough. And people, again, there's so much shame wrapped around sex and sexual conversations. And Brett, Every time we have a conversation that even remotely uses the word sex, he like immediately jumps to say, I'm so vanilla, I'm so vanilla. And I'm happy to hear you say, Brett, that after reading the book, maybe you're not so vanilla as you as vanilla as you thought. And also being vanilla is fine too. Also, what's the reason of saying that, right? That's almost like a way to separate your oh, I'm not one of those kinky people. I'm vanilla. Whatever it is. What's the urgency and by the that you way, like yes, you have to I, I, say it? And by the way, it's said before I even opened the book. Do you know what I mean? Actually, what I think it was is Jason texting me and saying, where did you get to chapter 11? And I hadn't started it yet. So I immediately opened to chapter 11. And that's when I was like, all right, that's fine. We'll go back. But actually getting into the book and sitting with it and like driving with you in my head in the car, I was like, okay, this isn't as it made me reexamine. It's all really it. not. If you're a queer sexual man, this isn't as, I think, wild for you. You know what I mean? And also, by the time you get to chapter 11, you've had 10 chapters. I think if I started with that, you'd be like, oh, boy, oh, boy. But it's like, no, I I, I worked your way up to that. You know what I yes, mean? Yes, and Zach, it, part of it's your presentation. You're very charming. You're very funny. So that kind of takes the, the sting or the kind of stigma yeah, I, out of it because it's just, it's you're very easy to, I'm sure, read as well, but I listened. So for the most part, you're very easy to listen to, and it's very disarming. So it's a credit to you in that regard as well. Thank you. And that's why I write with a lot of humor. I just like being funny, and I enjoy reading funny things. So I, in part, I really think it makes it a lot easier and more welcoming and more inviting to have these tougher conversations when you're laughing and smiling and not na- making it as serious. So I think actually when discussing these tougher sex concepts, it, injecting humor is really important. I agree. Even though my daughter was like, you cannot talk about anything when you get on this podcast tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. That is funny. Yeah, she was the one suddenly becoming completely like puritanical. I was like, Matt, what's happening here? I hope that means because she loves listening to the podcast and doesn't want to hear anything that you have to say. So I take that as a... I know, but she won't listen to it. What'll happen is one of her friends will listen to it and then get back to her, which is probably would be worse. But I understand, but whatever, that's fine. The book, Boy Slut by Zachary Zane. Get it, read it, listen to it, have conversations, embrace your kinks, lean into it. Don't be afraid of it. 
And it doesn't even just kinks. It's no, it's everything. Sex is a part of life and it's totally normal. And I think let's talk it to is. all the people about it. I could sit here and talk to you for another hour about just all the things. We didn't even talk about Michael B. Jordan. Jesus, what a wasted opportunity. Oh my but God. I, Both my mom and I have had sex dreams about him. We've learned, <laughs> which is pretty. Would he, would he be your number one in terms of fantasy? Celebs. Him and Jake Gyllenhaal, the three of us together could do it Jake for Jake is me. so many. Jake is so many people. I, I, he was also like a younger crush. So I've had him for a yes. while versus Michael B. Jordan is a newer one of maybe five years as opposed to like 12 years. Yeah. So it's a little old and the new. But the fact that both my mom and I have had sex dreams about Michael B. Jordan is hilarious. hilarious. Objectively hilarious. ridiculous and hilarious. Have you, Nature versus nerd. Do you watch Friday Night Lights? No, I don't. Which I know I have to. You have to. Oh, my God. I know. First of all, the show is one of my favorites, which is hilarious. Yeah. Football, I love Texas. Friday. No, no, no. My mom loved it, too. I know. Uh, no, I. that's, you know what? That's I'm supposed to be writing a synopsis uh, of uh, a fiction story that I'm working on. But I'm just going to watch Friday Night Lights instead. I hope yes. that happens. You know how I don't want to. I don't have it yet, so maybe I shouldn't share. But it could be a pretty cool story coming out. And I, it's looking likely, but I have to finish this up. All right. Amazing. Fingers crossed for you. Moving into fiction. Fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah. I know. We need this in fiction too, right? We need to sort of diversify what we got going on. This will be a modern queer narrative for sure. I think y'all will enjoy it. I was in New York for 12 years. And so I'm like, who do we, we must know. I'm curious who you had sex with, who I know. <laughs> oh, all of them. All of them. Oh, we'll see the mutual. So funny. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Jason's just going to start to get DMs. In this one. <laughs> You're definitely people, if they listen. Yeah. Share with Jason if we had sex. When my book came out, I'm talking to the audience. There were about like 80 people in attendance. It was a pretty big one. And literally I'm looking around. I go. How many people here have had sex with? Like, as we're discussing a question, and over half raised their hands. And it was absolutely... Everyone died. Everyone fucking died. Because it was about, like, staying friends with people you've had sex with. I'm like, actually, here's a... Here, let's, that is this will so... be a testament to how good I am at it. How it, nice oh that they were God. so supportive. It was so funny. Zachary Zane, thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you, Zachary Zane. What an absolute pleasure. Again, everybody go buy your copy of Voicelet if you have not already. Also, you could check out the audiobook, but get your copy in our bookshop.org page, which you could find the link to in our show notes. As always, subscribe, share us with your friends. We have our Patreon. We have our merchandise. There's all sorts of stuff going on over at Gaze Reading. Brett, am I missing anything else? No, I think you got it all, except we'll see you next week. See you next week. Have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes. Happy Turkey Day. And we'll see you post-Thanksgiving. Bye. Bye.